was thinking as we were singing about the holiness of God. The word holy means to be set apart. So in what way is God set apart? He's set apart in his goodness. He's set apart in his perfection. He's set apart in his grandeur. He's set apart in every way. And God calls us to be holy in this world, to be set apart in the way that we live, to be distinctly different, that people would look at our lives and they would know there's something different there because we have been set apart by the righteousness of Jesus, as we'll see this morning. Well, if you've been with us for this series this summer, we've been looking at the Apostles' Creed line by line, understanding what it is that we say when we proclaim these words. What do they mean to us? And it's our hope that never again will you say the Apostles' Creed without thinking deeply about each and every line and what they mean for you. Now, last week, we came to the very last line. And what I mentioned last week is we're still con continuing the series called I Believe because what we're doing now is that we're looking more specifically at the third person of the Holy Trinity. Remember the very first week of the, of the series, we, we talked about what it, the Trinity means because the Apostles' Creed is Trinitarian. And if you weren't there, don't let me lose you because it's something that is very simple to understand. It just means that God is three persons and one God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, of the three persons of the Trinity, the one I think that we most often misunderstand is the role of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? What is the impact that the Holy Spirit makes in our lives? And, and more, most importantly, how can we participate with God in the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this morning, what we're going to be looking at today is we're going to be looking at this great reality that the Holy Spirit purifies. The Holy Spirit purifies. Well, I hope by the end of the morning, not only will you understand what that means biblically, but my hope is that you will make decisions this week to participate in the work that the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in your heart and your life to transform you. What we're going to see is that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin for the purpose of bringing us to Jesus for an initial moment, an initial decision, but then ongoing as we grow in that faith because it takes the process of the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin to cause us to choose to grow, but we can stop that process. We can choose we don't want that. And so I hope that each of us will hear this morning something for ourselves, not something for our spouses, not something for our children, not something for our friends, but something for ourselves. So here's the first thing. You'll see this on the top page of your notes that are in your bulletin this morning, but it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Listen to what it says. And that is what some of you were speaking of us as who are Christians. It's talking about the change that has happened in our lives. It's talking about the reality that we were and now we are. We are different. We are changed. So 
Paul writes this. He says, and that is what some of you were. But you were now, this is what happened, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. Okay, it's in the name of Jesus that we have been washed, that we are being sanctified, that we have been justified. But the work is done by the Holy Spirit. That's what this verse is saying. Now, let me just talk momentarily about what these three words mean. To be washed means new life. To be washed is to be cleansed. To be washed is to, is to have all of that sin just washed away from us. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about when I was young and I had three brothers and we would uh, sometimes get a little dirty. And we would, I don't know, Chris, if you remember this, but when it would rain and we'd play football out in the front yard and dig up dad's lawn, but we would just have a ball and we'd come in just muddy and dirty and we would get in and mom would make us take a bath if it was the first Friday of the month. So we would, we would take a bath and all that dirt would just come pouring off. I remember uh, about a month ago now, I went backpacking with my, uh, one of my daughters and my two son-in-laws, and uh, at the, after four days, I had not showered. I had not bathed. I didn't use deodorant because I didn't want to attract a bear. Let's just say I was a tad ripe. And when I got home, I remembered in the shower just all this dirt washing off my body. And so when I think about this, the Holy Spirit is washing me clean. It's not dirt, as we understand dirt, but it's the filth of sin and the power of sin and the consequences of sin as, as the Holy Spirit, by the work of Jesus, is washing me clean. Isn't that incredible? We see a second thing here, and we see that we are sanctified. And sanctified means that I come to Jesus, I've been washed by the Spirit in the name of Jesus, and now the Holy Spirit is sanctifying me. It's, it's, it's a word that's very easy to understand. It just means he's making me more like Jesus. He's making me more like the person I'm called to be in the Bible. He is, he is setting me free from addictions and He's setting me free from bad habits, and he's setting me free from all those things in my life that just get in the way, get in my way, and get in the way of my ability to love God and love others. And then, justified. The Holy Spirit is, works in the process in the name of Jesus to justify us. Now, what does that mean? It simply means this, that it's now, because of what Jesus has done, I am justified before God. It's a legal term that means I am not guilty. Now, I am guilty. I'm a sinner. But by the price that Jesus paid, now the righteous, righteousness of Jesus clothes me so that when God sees me, he sees me in light of what Jesus has done for me. The holiness of Jesus. That's what the Father sees in me. Because I am clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. 
It's a good thing that all of us wore clothes today. Can I hear an amen to that? And those clothes, spiritually, are the righteousness of Jesus. This is staggering. That is my condition before God. That is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've trusted Jesus for your salvation, that is your position before God. Now, with that little background, I want you to see three things this morning that I think are extraordinary. When it comes to this reality that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to purify us. And we'll see the first one is this. The Holy Spirit purifies us by convicting us of our sin. Now, I don't think there's a person here that would say, man, I love that. I love when the Holy Spirit convicts me of my sin. What we tend to do is we don't like anybody pointing out anything in our lives that is not pure and lovely and wonderful. It's keep it to yourself, right? You don't have to say anything about my sin. Well, what about your sin? The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, and it's absolutely necessary. If the Holy Spirit does not convict us of sin, we never see a reason why we need salvation in Jesus Christ. If I don't understand the reality of my brokenness, then I don't understand the reality of the depth of God's grace and love for me. And yet often what we do is we run from our sin, we hide from our sin. What we do is we cover our sin, we justify our sin, we defend our sin. When in reality, all that does is lead to deeper brokenness in our lives. What we need to do is to learn to open our hearts and our minds to the work of the Holy Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to do an inventory of our hearts and our minds and our lives, and then to take responsibility for it, and in so doing, become free people. Friends, whether you acknowledge your sin or not, your sin is doing a terrible work in your lives. And the only way to be free from sin is to acknowledge it and to begin to allow the Holy Spirit to deal with it. Now, why is it that I can allow the Holy Spirit to speak and convict me of sin? Now, I'm not always great at this, okay? Because sometimes I get defensive, sometimes I don't want to see it. But in those times that I'm walking by the Spirit, I say, God, reveal, reveal. Here's what I find. I can do that because I know that I'm justified. I know that I'm already forgiven. I know that I don't need to run because the one who is speaking to me is so committed to me and so loves me that there's no reason for me to run and hide. I know that I'm loved and forgiven by God, so come, Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, convict me, show me, set me free. Now, I am a big believer. I am a big believer in the 12-step program. Some of you are very familiar with the 12-step program, and I love it. I love it. And what I have found in my life is that I grow as a result of allowing God to teach me and to challenge me. Here, I'm going to share with you the first six steps. I want you to follow this because this is really profound. 
This has been found to be the most effective way to help people who are caught in an addiction. This is the most effective way, not drugs. It's this 12-step process. And there, we don't really know who even created it, but its, it's, it's legacy is in the Word of God. Its power is in the Word of God. There is an organization that created a new 12-step program. It's the same steps, but it's for Christians. It's called Celebrate Recovery. And we used to do it here at Crosspoint. But I want you to hear the first six steps. Number one, we admit that we are powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors, and that our lives have become unmanageable. Now, that's a hard place to come to. But what happens is, this is where we have to come to spiritually. I realize that I can do nothing about my sin. I see my sin. I, I'm, I'm aware of my sin. I take responsibility for my sin. Now, what do I do with it? It's unmanageable, so I turn to Christ, and I turn my life over to Him. Second step, I believe that God is greater than me and can restore me to sanity. It's the faith statement. I believe that my hope is in God. I believe that He has the power to set me free and to bring sanity back to my life. Step three, we choose to turn our will and our lives over to the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are all spiritual steps that we take that can deal with bad habits, that can deal with our sinful nature. Let me say that differently. With the sin that is still a reality of our sinful nature. Jesus has dealt with our sinful nature. Step four. Now the next two steps I'm going to share with you are the two most difficult steps. I know this because I looked, on, I looked online, I googled it. So you know it's true. These, but I've heard this from other people who have been part of the 12-step program. These are the two hardest steps. You ready? We make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Eh, don't want that one. We look honestly at who we are. We, we say, I don't want any sin in the darkness. I want it all in the light. I want to see who I really am. I want to take responsibility for my life. I don't want to run and hide anymore. I can't be well unless I am real and honest about who I am. I have to take responsibility. Step five is the, these two, four and five are the two hardest steps. Step five, we admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Friends, this is biblical. This is biblical. We are to be willing, in light of the mercy of God, we are to be willing to look honestly at who we are so that God can draw us to himself. Friends, we will not grow unless we are willing to be real and genuine and honest and transparent about our lives. We're not going to grow. My daughter, Katie, I love this girl. She's my, my youngest, my, our third child. And Katie, uh, my first two are really, really orderly, fastidious. Now, Scott would do it, our son, by anything he didn't want in his room, he would just put it out in the hallway. 
Kay, Amy would actually clean everything. And then there was Katie. Oh my goodness. Pig pen. This kid, what was it, a couple of years ago, I said, Katie, I can't take your car anymore. Because it was dangerous. She had all this trash under her pedals. I said, you can't do that. But I remember when Beth's sister, uh, Leslie, was coming to visit us. We had moved into a new house. We were in Michigan, and she came out to visit us. And Beth kept saying to Katie, Katie, you know Leslie's coming. You know she's coming, and I'm going to give her a tour of the house. And your room looks like a disaster. In fact, Katie, she does have a standard, we realized, because it got to a certain point, and when the other two kids were out of the house in college, she would actually move to another bedroom to sleep. (laughs) This literally happened until that bedroom got really messy. She went to the third bedroom and started living, and Beth put the kibosh to that. But Katie kept saying, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. I'm sure, parents, this doesn't happen with your kids at all, but um, well, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And so Beth, Beth uh, finally says, Katie, Aunt Leslie's coming in a couple hours. Okay, okay, okay. So I was a kid once. I know what happened. So I wait until they get into Katie's room, and I walk in, and it's immaculate. It's beautiful. And, and so I said, oh, Aunt Leslie, you've got to see how big Katie's closet is. <laughs> Katie looks at me like this. I'm not dumb. I know where you, what you did. And look under her bed. She's got so much space. Friends, I think we do that. We just want to sweep everything into the closet, everything under the bed. We don't want anybody to see it, and we don't want to see it. But until we are willing to see it and acknowledge it and take responsibility for it, we are going to continue to live in darkness. We aren't going to grow, and our relationship with God just grows stale. It's not that God has gone anywhere. We are hiding. He's not hiding, we're hiding. Because when we come into the presence of a holy God, we know deep down that there will be conviction of our sin. So here's a second thing that I want you to see here this morning, and that's this. The Holy Spirit purifies by providing a cleansing work as part of the blessings of salvation. Oh my gosh, friends, this is amazing. The moment you choose to believe, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And now the Holy Spirit, the moment you believe, completely cleanses you from all sin. He clothes you in the righteousness of Jesus. He imputes to you the righteousness of Jesus. Remember that when you were conceived, the sin of Adam and Eve was imputed to you. Now, that doesn't sound very fair, but we, ought, we really like it when the, when the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to us the moment that we believe and we receive the Holy Spirit. Listen to this passage. We read this. And you also were included in Christ. Past tense. You were included in Christ. When you heard the message of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, the good news of what Jesus Christ did for you on that cross at Calvary. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, in Jesus with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't the kind of seal that barks. This is the kind of seal that that seals you to something, that attaches you to something. It's the seal that comes over your heart. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You belong to God now and forevermore, and nothing will ever change that reality. And He, the Holy Spirit, is a deposit. It's a depo- What's a deposit? Well, if I'm going to buy a house, I give, a deposit, give you a deposit so you know I'm serious. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. In other words, until Jesus returns at the end of time. I am inheriting the kingdom of God. I am inheriting the blessings of the presence of God in my life. I am inheriting the reality that God loves me, that I belong to him forevermore that he never will give up on me, he'll never forsake me, that he will be with me forevermore, that I am his forever child. And a child in that culture that was uh, was adopted, and we are adopted as, as his children, received the full inheritance. I will receive and am receiving the full inheritance of the promises that God has made to me as his eternal child. But friends, it begins by believing the gospel. It begins by understanding that I am a sinner. I have not lived as God has called me to live. I have not been pure in every thought. I have not been pure in every motivation. I have not done everything that God has called me to do. Sometimes I'm silent when I should speak. Sometimes I speak when I should be silent. Sometimes I'm angry. Sometimes I'm impatient. Sometimes you fill in the blank. And I recognize that because the Holy Spirit convicts me. And I realize as the 12 steps, I need a Savior. And I need to turn my life over to Him. I remember when I was a young believer that I, that I bought this book called God is My Co-Pilot. And I thought it was a really cool book until I realized A few years later, God is not my co-pilot. God is my pilot. I'm sitting in the other seat. God is flying the plane. I'm just along for the ride. And what a ride it is. Because there's nothing in all of creation, Romans 8 says, that will ever separate me from God's love in Jesus Christ my Lord. And that promise is sealed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Friends, if you have never opened your heart to Jesus, he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you this morning. He's waiting for you now. And maybe you recognize, man, my life is just is out of control. My life is, is not what it should be. God wants to become the pilot of your life. He can be trusted. It doesn't mean there won't be bumps along the way. It doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. But what it does mean is that you will be living the rest of your life and all of eternity in the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
and the precious love of God that knows no heights, no depths. It goes beyond anything you've ever imagined or ever experienced. Here's the third thing that I want you to see. Salvation is purposed. Oh, let me go back. I got, oh, did I? Oh, nope, that was me. Here's how we need to understand this. The unique roles of each of the three persons of the Trinity. Salvation is purposed by the Father. What does that mean? It's the Father's plan. God the Father, it was salvation was His plan. It was accomplished by the Son who came and lived the perfect life we could never live and then died on Calvary for our sins. Took the wrath of God for us so that we don't need to receive it. Bought us, redeemed us, purchased us at the price of His life. And it's applied. Salvation is applied by the Holy Spirit. This is how the Godhead works together in your salvation and in my salvation. Purposed by the Father, accomplished by the Son, applied by the Holy Spirit. Here's the last thing I want you to see. The Holy Spirit purifies by producing growth in holiness. Now I'm a Christian. I recognized as a teenager that my life was out of control that I needed a savior. And I was a good kid. I wasn't doing bad things. But I understood as the Holy Spirit convicted me that my life wasn't right. And I gave my life to Jesus. And now the rest of my life has been learning this, learning to grow in holiness as a result of allowing the Holy Spirit to convict me of sin. I need the work of God in my heart to convict me of sin because I know I am really, really good at making excuses for my sin. I am really, really good at sweeping my sin into the closet so I don't have to look at it. Do you ever look back on your life and you remember something and it's just like, oh, it's, oh, I can't believe I did that. And you want to think about it. It's so awful or so embarrassing. And you just want to push it away. The only way that you can get free from that is by owning and taking responsibility for that, which means we allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. I want you to see this passage that comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It's profound. Listen to what it says. And we, all of us who are Christians, with unveiled faces, we don't have to cover our faces to come into the presence of God anymore. We can come into the presence of God and we can contemplate, we can think about the glory of God. We can see the glory of God. Listen to this. Then he says this, we are being transformed into his image, the image of Jesus with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Holy Spirit. What is he saying here? We are being transformed. I cannot produce lasting change in my life, but God can by changing me. I can't change me, but God can change me. But I also, as you'll see in a moment, have responsibility in that process. Now, the way that God begins that process of change is by revealing our sin to us. Now, he often does that through our family, our spouses, our children. Sometimes we see in our children, the very things we don't like in ourselves. In fact, I've found that 
As parents, we will battle most with the child that we see is most similar to us because we love them so much and we don't want them to go the path that we walked. The Holy Spirit, I am being transformed into the image of Jesus with ever-increasing glory. It's going on and on, and all of that comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Friends, I um, remember many years ago that I went to a conference, and I've shared this with some of you before. It was a prayer conference. I like prayer conferences. These are wonderful, and I was excited. Our staff was going, and uh, I was in Michigan at the time, and I, and I went, and it was an all-day, two-day conference all day. And I remember that we began early in the morning with um, a prayer of confession. And I remember thinking, and it was 45 minutes, 45 minutes? I was done in 30 seconds. And I'm thinking, boy, these people are a mess. They're still going. Literally, I was thinking that. Then I prayed this prayer. And I was so sorry I did, and so glad I did. I said, God, if there's anything else there, would you reveal it to me? I was sure I was in pretty good shape. Two days later, I just crashed spiritually. The weight of the reality of my sin and brokenness was the answer to that prayer. God gave me eyes to see. But it began the greatest journey of growth that I have ever experienced in my life spiritually. It just about broke me, but God wouldn't let that happen. But it began a process of deep, profound growth in my life. Friends, if we don't take responsibility, we're not going to grow. I want you to see this second passage. And this is a passage some of you are familiar with. We read in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit, okay, before I say fruit, I just said fruit, so I can't say that. I'm going to say fruit again, but there's two things I want you to know about fruit. Number one, fruit is the natural result of something that's healthy. I have a lemon tree. When that lemon tree is healthy, it gives me tons of lemons. If I don't get good lemons, I'm not thinking, I'm not yelling at the lemon and saying, what happened to you? Why did you grow so poorly? I'm thinking, that tree is not healthy, right? A healthy lemon tree produces lemons. Okay, I'm going I'm to really challenge you. What does a healthy orange tree produce? Oh my goodness. I am really worried. Oranges! It just does it naturally. So when, when, when Jesus talks about fruit and Paul talks about fruit, he's talking about the natural output of a healthy spiritual life. Then here's the second thing I want you to know, and this is often, people don't get this. The original Greek language, the word fruit here is singular. It's not plural. What we often do when we read this list, we think, oh, I'm good at this, I'm good at this. Yeah, I'm not so good at that. And that's not what he's talking about. He's saying all of this should be growing in our life at one time. All of this is the fruit. Think of a fruit, a spiritual fruit tree that's healthy will produce these different fruit. 
Okay, so let me read them. You ready? And I want you to think about your life in light of these words. Love. Genuine, authentic love. For God, for people. Joy. If you have joy at the center of your life, even in the midst of hardship. Peace. You're anxious and worried. Forbearance, which is patience. Kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Each of those are different fruit on your spiritual tree. Now, by nature, some fruit will be, just by nature, you'll be more natural at. Yeah, I just, yeah, I'm just very faithful. You know, I'm just, or I'm just very self-controlled. That's just the way I am. But that is natural. You're not going to be natural in all of this. And what happens is, even those that you're natural, God will empower and strengthen in a supernatural way. So even there, you will be growing. I want to close with this. As you look at your life right now, what is the health of the fruit of your spiritual tree. As you look at the fruit on that tree and look at it honestly, how healthy is your spiritual life? So how do I participate with God in this process? How do I participate in the work of the, of the Holy Spirit in convicting me? Well, I am open and I'm honest with God and I say, God, come, reveal God, in your gentleness and your kindness and your grace and your love, come and reveal the areas where I need to grow. And I spend, every day I spend time and every day where I read the word of God and I let the word of God speak to me by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts me through his scripture. The Holy Spirit convicts me as I read the scriptures or as I hear somebody preach out of the scriptures. And I pay attention to what God is saying to me. And I, and I pray about those things. In just a few weeks, we're going to begin after this series. We're going to begin a whole new series in, in the fall. And it's going to be looking at seven markers of the spiritual life. You're going to be invited to take an, an online assessment where you will get to see, look at your spiritual life, what you are doing to build that spiritual tree in your life. You will get results of where you're strong, where you need to grow, not in the fruit, but in the, in the spiritual life that produces the fruit. Do you see the difference? What I see is a lot of times that we can work with God and being more patient and stuff, but what we need to do is we need to focus in on the spiritual life that produces naturally the kind of fruit we want in our lives. We're going to start that in just a few weeks. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. And the person who developed this whole process is going to come and preach one of those Sundays. It's going to be extraordinary. We'll have his book available in just a couple of weeks for you. And um, we're very excited about that. I just want to share this quick, quick story. I, was, I remember when I was preaching, I remember when my mom asked me to vacuum. Do you remember the days of shag carpet? How many of you remember shag carpet? 
It's like six inches long. I mean, it's like, and what I learned was mom's never going to see the dirt in there. I mean, it's way down there. What she is going to notice is whether there are nice roads. So I got a rake. And all I did was rake the carpet. And it struck me. That's often what I'm doing with my spiritual life. I pay attention to what all of you see, but I don't pay attention to what's really there. The dirt is still there. It's not been dealt with. And you, you grind that in over time, and I'll tell you, it makes, it does a lot of damage. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these friends, Lord. It, man, I just am preaching to me this morning. So easy for me to just get busy, and by being busy, I don't have to be, I don't have to look at myself. I don't have to allow the Holy Spirit to come and to convict me of sin for the purpose of cleansing and growing my life. Lord, we want to be better. We do. We don't like the pain of getting better sometimes, but we want to be better. Pray for your people that you would strengthen us, that you would grow us, that you would love us. And now, Lord, as we receive the morning offering, we pray that you would empower these gifts that we give, that it would bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus to those in our community who don't know Jesus, who are lost in their brokenness, and they see no hope of being free. We pray for those, Lord, that the good news of these gifts will help us to grow believers to bear fruit, healthy fruit, for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.